Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to the Corona Diaries and we are in chapter 22. It's a chapter 22 moment. Yeah. Um, And we keep saying how we made it this far, but do you know what? I'm looking forward to 50 already. Yeah, I think that every morning when I open one eye. (laughs) Well, well, I'm pleased you have opened an eye because you set off a whole health scare last week. Oh, I know, yeah, Christ, yeah. Uh, sorry, I must stop taking the Lord's name in vain because I'm becoming increasingly aware about how many reverends and right reverends I've got in the uh, in the purples. Yeah, we um, talked about that. So, every you know, every time I blaspheme and curse, I, I suddenly think, oh, Lord, what will the vicars think? Um, but anyway, oh, now I've said, oh, Lord. You see, it's endless. Um, it's, it's in the... <laughs> It's in the blood, the cursing, so tis, so tis. Um, what were we talking about, Ant? Well, opening we were one talk- eye and cr- oh, creating a health scare. Health scares. Yeah, it would have frightened me to death. Um, I mean, n- not when it happened. Not literally. Just to the tsunami of, of concerned <laughs> emails <laughs> some, from, from some of whom were health professionals and doctor this and doctor that, yeah. going, you should really get yourself checked out. Frightened me to death. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I did have the javelin in between the nipples and uh, it's gone away now and I don't, I don't think it was terminal. I mean, it didn't feel terminal. I just felt tough. Uh, well, it's not been terminal yet. Didn't go down the arms, which I think with with a you know a heart attack, you get it down your arms. That's the one thing I do know. Um, so I think I mean, but it wasn't wind. It was something. It could have been food poisoning, uh, or it could have been any of the myriad things that were sent me. Gallbladder and. Goodness yeah, knows stones. what. They were all yeah. at it. They were all saying, oh, oh, mine started like that, they all said. And oh, Christ. Oh, I nearly said Christ again. And I was just, oh, Lord. Yeah. Oh, it, you know, I, I, now I feel dreadful. Mm. Um, but I don't. I feel I feel fine. I've got nothing to report. I haven't had any dizzy spells or fallen over or anything else. So, um, right. I don't think it was self-abuse because I hadn't had masses to eat or drink on that particular day. I don't know what it was. It was a well, mystery thing. Well, we'll, you know, we, we, it's a week later, everything's fine, so we'll just, we'll go with it. And you've just now got six or seven new things to worry about, haven't you, which was we can thank <laughs> the Purples for. <laughs> yeah, but I do thank them because the, the show of... of uh, concern and general support and you know and then afterwards and i said i felt i mean i sent a message out in the end to everybody to say i was all right that was a mistake as well because then i got 
500 replies. <laughs> but the, the, show, the show of concern was a beautiful thing and I'm very fortunate to be at the receiving end of all of that love and concern. Good. Well, the other thing is, as well is we perhaps do need to be a little bit conscious because we got our knuckles wrapped a little bit by Christine about <laughs> our language, didn't we? Oh, well, you, you're not you're not going to drag her through the mud, are you? Well, no, no. I'm just I'm just saying. I mean, she put it out as a public comment, so right. you know. And I'm just we, we, yeah. So we, we perhaps need to be a little careful. She did, yeah. Even she said it was a bit of a Mary Whitehouse moment. Um, but could we cut down on the smut and the effing and blinding? Yeah. Well, I think our response to that is, Christine, <laughs> <laughs> we we love you very much. Yes, indeed. <laughs> But <laughs> your your your, view, your views have been noted, right? Um, With the best oh, will I, in the world and all of that. While we are on the subject, and for a, just for a moment of uh, seriousness, I do want to shout out to Jennifer Welling, who's in Santa Cruz in California, because she's been posting lots of pictures of the sky around there with the wildflower fires and the you know the crazy sort of texture and color of the sky. Uh, so just hope she's okay. And that everything's because it sounds like it's a little bit, a little bit of a situation out there. So um, we, we're thinking of you, Jennifer. Uh, and, I, can't, uh, I can't imagine what it's like to look out your window and see a fire on the hill coming towards you. I mean, mm. coming towards your home. Oh, it's something I've never had to deal with psychologically, yeah. but I can imagine it's truly awful. So yes, our thoughts do go out to you. In fact, Mark Kelly was saying to me or us the other day in the studio, he's got a good friend called Phil Harrison, uh, who is now a director of Google. He was sort of head wow. head shrunk or headhunted um, by um, by somebody a couple of years ago because he's a, a bit of a high flyer. And um, he, he was offered a job out in California for Google um, and he didn't really want to uproot his family and take them, but every time he said no, they offered him more money till it got ridiculous and he thought, I'm going to have to do this. So he went um, and he's he's in the process of coming back. He says, I, I, can't, I can't live here anymore. You can't breathe the air. You know, there's so mm. much pollution and smoke in the air now from the fires. People, people in L.A. aren't even going out. You know, they're staying in their homes. So it's pretty grim. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're thinking so, of you all. I hope it passes over without too much damage. And it kind of segues into what we're going to talk about today a little bit in terms of the fact that uh, I thought we'd maybe for an episode or a couple of episodes maybe even um, talk about things pertaining to, to season's end. Because uh, we're, we're in the kind of, it was a September release, um, hu- hugely special album for me because it was it was um it's it's the one i go back to uh that's my first real introduction to to the band really uh, outside of the bits that were going on you know chart bits and what have you but it was the real introduction for me to the band and obviously it was your first your first album mm. um and yeah and, and and obviously you end up thinking about that track when you look at some of the images that are floating out from places like there and then you know some of the images floating around from you know, from other parts of the globe. But I don't necessarily want to talk about that today. Yeah. We we've, we think we might do a couple of episodes around about 
the, uh, the Season's End album and what have you. But the one I did want to talk about, um, we came out of a conversation we had the other day about um, Berlin. We found ourselves talking about Berlin, didn't we, just as in the place? We did. Yeah, I think I was just talking to you about what it was like going there back in the days when the wall was up um, and how how that was... That was, I mean, Berlin was, because you were saying to me you really like Berlin. It's one of your favourite cities. I do. Um, and I was saying, well, I've been been quite a lot over the last few years, but I haven't had that much time to really groove around. And we, we've always ended up in the same bit, you know, over mm. by the river and the Brandenburg Gate and everything and the Reichstag. Um but, um, yeah, I first went there way back with the Euros. Um, when, when it was in the Europeans, we went. And back in those days, and even the first two or three times I went with, um, I think I went with, with Marillion as well, before the wall came down. And you used, and, and in those days, Berlin was just like a little island of light and, and, and energy. Uh, completely surrounded by what looked like foggy fields. Um, and the only way you could get to this island was down what they called the corridor, which was made of um, like prefabricated slabs of concrete road. You were only allowed to do 30 miles an hour. Um, and you would drive down this what felt interminable concrete road going ba-dum, 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 ba-dum over the, um, the joins in the, in the slabs. Uh, either side of you was barbed wire, um, then an area of land, then more barbed wire uh, with occasional um, sentry post machine gun raised machine gun posts um and it was just all it all seemed to be foggy and it mm. was just grim and you drive along uh frustrated at having to drive so slowly um for what seemed like forever i think it used to take 45 minutes to an hour to get from to get from entering the corridor to arriving in berlin and after about 45 minutes sitting in a usually, you know, in, in my case, we usually sat in a minibus or something, looking at all this fog and barbed wire, um, you'd arrive in what looked like Knightsbridge. You know how Harrods is all lit up, you know. Yeah. Um, it was a bit like that. You'd just arrive in this place that was just full of light and energy and a complete polar opposite of what you'd just seen for the last hour and you'd arrive and you'd drive into what was Berlin and everybody the the joint was always jumping Mm -hmm. because they um they they had um they had a rule back then that you could you could dodge the draft you could basically dodge national service in Germany if you lived in Berlin and so all the young people who didn't really want to put uniforms on and hold guns for three years, would would gravitate to Berlin to study and party and just generally be free-spirited and hang out and do their thing. 
all the artists, um, um, and maybe to some extent still do, but all the artists gravitated there. Um, so it was just a very, very vibrant, arty, energetic party town when you got there. Mm. Um, made all the more so by this kind of dead, foggy, barbed wire surrounded concrete slab corridor that you had to drive through to get to it. And uh, I think when I was with the Euros, we played the same gig that, that I played with Marillion on the on the season's end tour as well. What the hell was that called? Ooh, can't remember. I'm sure people are writing. Um, and um, that was the one where I twisted my ankle. Oh, God, that's another story. Um, but um, when I was there with the Europeans, I remember going to a lot of, lot of bars and clubs and I remember this girl with this big red fur coat faux fur it wasn't real fur because real fur isn't that color uh you know it was a big pretend shaggy red fur coat and uh, she was quite a character and we ended up i don't know how we i don't know how we ended up with her but she tagged along with us and in the end i persuaded her to let me wear her coat for the evening so i was just staggering from bar to bar in this girl's red red shaggy fur coat i remember that and I remember drinking rather a lot. Um, and then I remember going back to that same gig um, with Marillion. And we that used to be the place we always played. And I can't remember the name of it. Um, we had a very high stage. And it was always a good gig. We always had a good one in there with the Euros. And uh, Marillion always had a good one in there as well. And on one occasion, I twisted my ankle um on that stage and we used to have this tour manager called paul lewis and he had this he used to have these great ideas about breaking the back of the journey he called it and 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 what he'd do that's like everybody's dad yeah exactly and and it still makes me wince the very thought of that expression because what what he said what he thought was a a brilliant brainwave which was instead of getting up in the morning and driving to the next town why don't we do half straight after the gig and then i'll book a hotel halfway and we'll break the back of the journey <laughs> and uh, it, we used to do that because you know nobody could argue with him and uh, on this particular occasion i was in this gig in berlin and I, and my ankle went over as i got down off a riser and went all black down one side and it was agony i actually thought i'd broken it and then we climbed into this minibus and drove out of berlin and along that sodding corridor uh ba-dum 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 and every ba-dum was like being shot <laughs> in the leg because my, my ankle was so badly sprained, there wasn't anywhere to put it. I couldn't find a plate, couldn't find a position, you know, straight knee, bent knee, any that, that would be that would make it hurt any less. Uh, every time we went badum, and the uh, the mini mini bus shuddered, and I said, and in the end, I said to him, Paul, I'd like you to stop now. And let me out, and I'm going to sit at the side of this road. And if somebody machine guns me, it'll be a relief. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they had to stop for a bit just to let me, just to let me kind of resume the will to live. I was in so much pain, and 
uh, I don't know where we drove to um, in the end, somewhere else in Germany and uh, managed to get to bed at like half past four in the morning. This was Paul's idea of a brilliant plan. Yeah, but you'd have slept well because you'd broken the back of the journey. We did break the back of the journey. On another occasion, we broke the back of the journey by arriving in, where was it? Was it Kaiserslautern or some, somewhere like that? One of those places that has slaughter in the word. Or was it not that? Anyway, we, we arrived somewhere in the middle of the night. About, again, about four o'clock, we fell into this hotel and night porter checked us in and we uh, we got into our room and as I, close, as I was just closing my door, another door about three doors down opened and this and this girl stuck her head out and went, hello. And I went, oh, hello. <laughs> she said, what are you doing? I said, well, we're in a band. What are you doing? I said, oh, we're all hairdressers. We're having a party. Do you want to come? And we went, oh, my God, it's four o'clock in the morning. It's here. Well, it'll only be a minute. Let's have a quick drink. So we 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 ended up in this room with all these hairdressers. Um, you know, not all girls, and there was a couple of guys as well. They probably gay. We had a we had a whale of a time uh, with the hairdressers. And uh, at one point, we, do you know? Did I ever tell you about mini bar parties? That's no. that's something that Manny Elias from Tears for Fears turned me on to because Tears for Fears used to have mini bar parties when they were. And they used to use false names because they were really famous. And Manny's Manny's uh, false name was Mr. Victor Vivian Manley. He was V oh. V Manley, um, which I thought was hysterical. They always booked him in the hotel as Mr. V V Manley, and um, they used to say, what they used to you know the, the little mini bar, the drink yeah. fridges that you yeah. get in hotels. Well, they used to unplug them from the wall and carry them down the corridor so that everybody in the entourage, you would pick one room and everyone would bring their minibar to that room and you would stack them up like Marshall speakers, you know, like status quo do. <laughs> you'd just have a wall of minibars and you'd open them all and, you know, drink everything out of them. Uh, and then it, it, I, I don't know whether I don't know whether Tears for Fears used to put them back in the morning or just leave them. Um, we used to put ours back because we're, we're gentlemen, as you know. Um, and uh, Mark Kelly and I were once going down the corridor about 10 in the morning, you know, to you, to me, to you, to me, like the Chuckle Brothers with this minibar, uh, putting it back when the manager said, excuse me, what are you doing? We say, oh, it's better that you don't know. You don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. There'll be no damage. Um, and, of course, these parties used to cost a fortune because these charge you seven quid for a lemonade in those mini bars don't they so by the time you've worked your way through all of them you know you, you'd done most of the national debt um anyway where were we berlin so so um <laughs> yes it was quite a place back then and um what else can i tell you about berlin we we, we we've always sort of ended up down by the by the reichstag which if you've never been is amazing. The first time I saw the Reichstag back in the 80s was before they'd filled all the bullet holes in. And it really did look like, you know, the war had just ended. I mean, it was really, really absolutely riddled and scarred. And, you you, you know, you, you looked at it and thought, God almighty, what, what went on here? 
And then, of course, um, Norman Foster did it up and put that big glass dome in the middle of it and everything, and, and they filled all the bullet holes in. But you can still see all the filler, because it's a different colour, where they all were. And that sort of stops and makes you think when you when you look at that. Um, you know, and you always end up thinking, well, I wonder where that bunker is that Adolf snuffed it in, you know. Did they ever find his teeth? I've never thought that, actually. I'm oh, going I to do. now. <laughs> I, I often think, I wonder where that is. Well, bearing in mind, you you were his greatest fan for a little while. Um, <laughs> what? Well, with the with with the uh, I, oh the I, AH I, on the back the of the AH keyboard on the back of the yeah. yes yeah. that was an error. <laughs> I hasten to point out the the reason that one of the reasons for asking because um, when you gave that description which you've just given which you you spoke to me about when you went the first time with the euros and the road and the badum 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 and the machine posts and what have you and then that brought me then to the lyric from from the song hmm. um and and at which point you think oh i can totally see how you wrote that lyric but then of course you didn't write that lyric did you that was one of one of john's wasn't it no it's a lovely lyric and i, and I think i think that um it was written to order i think the boys in the band before I joined Morellian, had actually, once they got John on board as a, you know, prospective lyric writer, they, I think he was asking them for subject matter and, and, and yeah. they said it'd be nice to have a song about Berlin. There's probably a lot you could say about it. Marillion obviously had their own history with Berlin, having recorded Enhancer Studios there. They recorded Misplaced Childhood in Berlin. Um back when the wall was up. So they had their own memories of, of, of that crazy place. And I mean, I, I only dipped in and out of there, but to go and stay there for a couple of months yeah. must have been, must have put a few years on their life, to be honest. Because um, they were kind of known, I mean, they were known for, um, put it this way, they weren't known for temperance, the boys back in those days, certainly not at my predecessor, Mr Dick, uh, not a man known for his temperance back back then. So sticking that lot in Berlin for a couple of months, my goodness, a um, bit like sticking New Order in Jamaica, which, you know, they also, they also did <laughs> to similar effect, I think. Um, so... Um, well, yeah, John. John. So John wrote Berlin to to order almost, and it is a very evocative lyric. You know, it evokes the the general sense of 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 gloom, uh, um, and perhaps um, you know the not the music hall. What was it? The cabaret. The cabaret mm. um, has a whiff of that about it. I can still see the fog of the machine gun posts when I sing it. Um, and I contributed almost nothing to that lyric. I just sang it. I think I added size of the skylight gets lost in the haze because I thought it was a cool rhyme for verse one, you know, because mm. it, it rhymes and sort of it makes verse two rhyme with verse one, um, which kind of ties them together a little bit. But I can't remember adding anything other than that john wrote the rest and and that was the bit for me that that just you know was quite interesting just because as i say the way you described it i just 
I just then could have seen you writing, you know, or, or felt you writing that lyric. And the way you deliver it, you know, it has that that air about it of somebody who's experienced it and been there a few times and seen it and really understands what's being being described. Because it's a, I mean, it's a very edgy. It's still got an edginess about it now. Um, the city, um, you know, it's one of those those cities that really has its own own character and. Uh, but it's also got an incredible vibrancy and still that feeling of hedonism because it's always been a, a fairly hedonistic place. Even if you went back, you know, pre-war, it was a it was a very hedonistic, you know, place to, yeah, place to be. Yeah, the, the cabaret and all of that was a pre-war thing, wasn't it? So, yeah. so I don't know why that was, why the, why the artists all gravitated there. Maybe it was a similar thing. Maybe there were uh, advantages to be had and things to wriggle out of. If you if you went to Berlin, I, you, don't, yeah. I, I don't know. But it but it's still you know it is amazing, and even now I mean so I've I've only visited it in the last few years, but become very taken with it. Uh, and it wears and it still wears the scars even now. Mm. Um, you know you have that that feeling of its past, but to have driven through you know on that road and to to have seen the machine gun posts because I don't think about machine gun posts in my lifetime. But it, but it, but it really was there. It was really sobering. If you if you got up to you know on the west side by the Brandenburg Gate in uh, where the wall actually was, then you could see the you you could see the Eastern European soldiers standing on on the wall with machine guns, wandering up and down, because there was a there was the wall and then there was a space. The, mm. There was no man's land even in the centre of Berlin, and then there was another wall. So it wasn't a question of getting over the wall. It was a question of getting over the first wall, running between the two walls and then climbing that. You know, so if you were going to try and climb and run for it, you you, were, you had no chance really. The only way out really was, was you know, by, by stealth or by forged papers or actually managing to get through that way or, you know, or yeah. tunnelling or, or whatever, but... but just running for it, you, you were toast. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, it's it, it is it is. A, I mean, if you've never been, it's somewhere I, I would wholeheartedly recommend anybody went because it is it is a it is a truly. Uh, I mean, there's so many cities now. You go and they, they all kind of feel very very similar, but that's one that really does stand on its stand on its own. Yeah, it still has its um, own. It still has its own uh, vibration because you're still. Conscious, although the although the wall's not there, you can't help but be conscious of the eastern part and, no. the, and the western part, and you go, oh, we're in the eastern bit now, and or now I'm in the western bit. Um, and there's a great hotel that uh, I was taken to by a girl called Sousa, who was on our crew. She was the um, promoter's representative peter Riga, i think our promoter at the time he had a rep and uh this big sort of like, <laughs> like something from uh, wagner's ring cycle you know she just needed the horned helmet and she was like a latter day um and uh she was tall very strong she used to run a scaffold crew for for uh, iggy pop when he did live gigs so you didn't mess with her um, and she sort of took a shine to me, used to bounce me on her knee a bit uh, after she's had a couple of drinks uh, whilst I nervously bounced up and down. And and and, and <laughs> on one occasion she said, today I will take, what was it she said, today I, I 
I plait my hair for you. I thought, oh, my God, now I'm in trouble. And um, she said, I will take her to an interesting place. So she took me off to this hotel by the Brandenburg Gate for a, for a coffee. You know, I mean, we didn't have long because it was a gig day. I had about 40 minutes to spare. Uh, she, so she showed me this hotel, which was amazing inside. It had a really interesting dark wood panelled and stained glass interior. Uh, and it was a very famous hotel in Berlin from the very old days. Uh, I want, you know the name of it, don't you? What's it it's called? the Adlon. It it's, is. It's the Adlon. It's the Adlon, mm. is it? Right. She yes. took me there. And then last time I went to Berlin, I took Nile there. I said, "Oh, you, I'll take you." And we've got again, we've got forty minutes. I said, "Come on, let's leg it. I want to show you this hotel by the Brandenburg Gate. It's amazing." And we went in there, and they'd refurbed it, and it's yeah. all kind of white now and ultra yeah. modern, uh, which yeah. was a shame. It's still very nice, and it's still a good place to go and have a, a cup of coffee, you know, with yeah. You get all. I, I I I went. I, I have a link to that as well, but only because it's there's a a group of books that I really like by a guy called Philip Kerr, uh, that are that are centered around a a, a a murder detective in in Berlin pre-war, um, and he he talks about the Adlon a lot, uh, and it what well, it was the place to be pre-war. It was it was that was the hotel. Mm. Might not have been the most you know the the. It was that it was the the chic one. It was the cool one. It had the, the best you know it had the best wine cellar and it had and, and that was the place to be and mm. for the and hence the reason why i went and it is even after the reverb it's a, it's an astonishing it's an astonishing place but some of the pictures around of of you know some of the some of the there's imagery from from you know old, older times and it is it's a phenomenal place they do an amazing kind of they, they have a special coffee the adlon has a coffee that's that's um almondy it's got a real that marzipan right which right. I thought would be Amoretto, awful, probably. Yeah, I thought it'd be awful and was absolutely fantastic. I mean, you didn't need any sugar for a week afterwards. No, I but think it was... I think Niall and I might have had one of them. We either had one of those yeah. or we had a hot chocolate or something. Uh, you know, and, and um, there was a lot of really groovy people sitting. In oh yeah, the, yeah. In the in that kind of central area where they serve serve drinks and food. I think we had a bite to eat as well. It was very pleasant. Mm. And the other thing that you go past uh, fairly close to there, I, I don't know if you, it was, is the Holocaust Memorial, which is which is again just something that stops you in your tracks. No, I don't, I've uh, not been to that. You, yeah, you ought to go and see that. That is that's truly incredible. Um, you know, so uh, it's just it's just a fantastic place. But um, I say with all that history and everything mixed in, it's such a it's it's such a heady mix of of all those things. But uh, but yes, anyway. Um, so so Berlin. Um, mm. and uh, with with that that little link to season's end, and we might you know what we might do a bit more season's end next week if that was something you'd be uh, yeah. all right to talk about. Yeah, we can talk about that. Uh, I mean, the, the whole the other thing album. about about Germany in the eighties when you were touring was that the motorways or the the autobahns as they call them that were still all full of you know American servicemen. Mm. You'd you'd see you know. Uh, armoured vehicles going up and down all the time. There was still a really, even in the 80s, there was still quite a presence of uh, the Allied um, forces, you know, and there were really very visible presence. 
And I was talking to a chap the other day, I think, who was it? We've got a bloke called Dickie Beaumont who lives in the village. And uh, he's That's a great name. Dickie Beaumont. That's a, he's brilliant. And he talks like he's quite, he's probably about seven, you know. Oh, you know. And he says, you know, all the time. So how are you, Dickie? Well, you know. Um, and he um, he's a roadie and he's still occasionally roadies for the Hollies. But he goes way back to the Ark and, and used, used to plug Jimi Hendrix in at one time. Oh. So he's got oh, some ooh. stories and he just rolls them out every now and again, you know. I, know I, I was talking about the Pretenders the other day. I said, oh, Pretenders, and, you know, what a great what a great band they, they were. What a brilliant songwriter Chris is. And what a brilliant, you know, what a lovely jangly sound um, Jimmy Scott. And, oh, oh, yes, you know. Do you know, I used to pick hops with uh, Jimmy Scott and Pete Farnden. Cause that's right, we got on to, that's what it was, we got on to talking about uh, Hereford, Hereford, and I went, oh, that's Pretender's country. And he went, oh, yes, you know, I used to pick hops with Pete Farnden and Jimmy Scott. when you're joking. Um, you know, they both, they both tragically died from heroin overdoses, you know, Chrissy lost half the pretenders in between album one and two. Unreal. Uh, but Dickie used to pick hops with it. How have I got onto that? Oh, Germany. And he said, and and he said back in the day when they were, you know, when he was being a roadie on tour with various bands and he used to drive around in Germany, he said, you've got to be really careful because sometimes people will drive at you in the wrong direction up the motorways, on, on, on the wrong carriageway. And I say, well, why would they do that? And he said, oh, suicides, you know. I go, what? And apparently it was very, very common in those days for American servicemen to just go, I've had enough. And they would drive at high speed down the wrong side of the motorway until they hit something. You know, and they were just taking their own lives, which, of course, was fairly dangerous if you happen to be using those motorways at the same time. And he said that was very common. So, yeah, Germany was, was an interesting place, even even back in the 80s. I guess it's still interesting now, but, you know, it's not full of nutters in uniform like it used to be. No. Or well, as full. That we'll we'll morph into a bit of diary, but uh, you know, on that on that quite dark, cold little moment, it's a strange thought, isn't it? It's a strange yeah. thought. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you're not just doing yourself in, are you? You're, you're going to take somebody else out as well, aren't you? That's the thing. Yeah, and the military is so good at keeping all that stuff quiet. Yeah. That unless you're there witnessing it yourself, you don't hear about it. It's not in the papers. You know, they keep that. Very quiet. Um, or or unless you're Dickie Beaumont. Well, you know. <laughs> sure he didn't present the wrestling in the mid-70s. <laughs> you know, he probably did. I mean, he's one of those guys, you know. I'll ask him next time I see right. him. I hope, you, I hope he did. That would, you that present would be. the wrestling in the 70s? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you introduce well, Big Daddy? You know, I did a bit of that, yeah. I did a bit of that, yeah. <laughs> right, let's let's go to diary. I think um, I think we're in the US, aren't we? On the holidays and Eden, um, we uh, are holidays and Eden stuff. We are. We're um, we're, uh, we're doing all of that. Yeah, we're, yes. we're gigging around in the. I still remember the the rain and that 
roundabout in Syracuse. That was a long couple of days. We were in this awful hotel, the middle of nowhere, by a by a, a big what do they call it? A turnpike, they call them, don't mm. they? They, they do were, call them turnpikes. They, they don't call them roundabouts like we do here. Um, and we were by a turnpike, and it in a in a rotten hotel, in the extreme rain, for a couple of days, very stir crazy. I remember that. And I remember the blokes, uh, as we drove north to Canada, I remember passing the, the guys fishing in the ice. We, mm, we yeah. drove, it was, you know, it was thick snow and there were guys out on the, on the lake. And I'd never seen that. I'd only seen that in sort of Yogi Bear cartoons and things. I'd, uh, I'd never seen it in real life. <laughs> so and, was, and do you know, do you know what? I think you, you did that, would you believe you did that on my birthday? Oh, did I? 20th of March. Yep. You were driving up because I thought that when I read it. And there you are. <laughs> there you are. Right. Well, we'll have a bit of diary and we'll get together and, 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 and wrap up. Um, okay. I'll send you a card, you know, if, if, okay. if, if we make it to the 20th of March. If we make it to the 20th of March. We'll make it to the 20th of March. Well, I mean, a higher optimism. Uh, and well, yeah, of course, there's your health issues, but um, <laughs> I think we'll make it. It'll you might be, be doing fun. it on your own. Too. Hello, I, welcome I, to the Corona I'm, Diaries. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna carry on going. <laughs> you should. <laughs> I'm just literally gonna carry. I don't know who I'm gonna get to sit in that this chair. This is what Mr. H going. probably would have said about this. <laughs> Actually, I'll do it myself. <laughs> I'm gonna. Have to, I'm gonna have to, Learn how to do loads of voices. <laughs> if I just do it all in character, I'll be fine. You can sample the giggle, you know, I and just press the, the press the button every time you want it. And I'm going to do it as Dickie Beaumont and, <laughs> well, and Pascal Chauvet all the, <laughs> all the way through. He's very sorry, but um, he's had to break it down nervous. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's go to diary. Let's 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 go over the pond, and I'll, and I'll we'll see you all in a little while. <laughs> right. Wednesday, 18th of March, Danbury, New Haven, Danbury. Managed to lie in, 8 o'clock. Spent the morning filling in insurance documents to be faxed back to England and typing sleeve notes for the anniversary album on Steve R's laptop. We left around 11 for a pointless visit to a record store in New Haven. I bought a couple of Yale fraternity shirts at the local college shop called Bula Bula. They also had a Yaleopoly board game, which I was unable to purchase because they were out of stock. Damn. There's always next time. Had lunch and then off to a radio interview at God Knows What FM with DJ Mike. Nice chap. We taught him about rogering. Back to Danbury for sound check at Tuxedo Junction. Hey. Again. The show was well attended and enthusiastically received. We played a lot better. Unfortunately, at a lot of these clubs, you can't get in until you're 21. And I hear quite a lot of people were turned away. There must be something we can do about that. Thursday, 19th of March, Danbury, Vermont. Left Danbury at 11 for the long drive up to Vermont. Some of the countryside was very pretty. 
At the side of the freeway, there are walls of icicles, occasionally solid blocks of ice, which shine turquoise like icebergs. Arrived at the Fairfield Motel and checked in before driving to Burlington for soundcheck. It was a dark little nightclub, K.D. Churchill's, and reminded me of a youth club. At soundcheck there was the usual gaggle of kids shivering outside. Some had been there all afternoon. We got back in the evening for the show. The club was busy and the audience very noisy. I suddenly realised we must be up near Canada, where the audience whoop and holler ceaselessly. Consequently, we couldn't hear much of what we were doing during the show. No wonder the Beatles stopped touring, said Pete. After the show, we signed lots of autographs and I got somewhat sloshed on the free drink. Regretted it almost immediately, but especially in the morning. Went to bed at three after speaking to Dizzy in Pretoria. Fifi didn't want to speak to me. Sent her a postcard instead. Friday, 20th of March, Vermont to Quebec. Up at 8.30 to pack and leave at 9.30. Had breakfast in Libby's Diner, which was like being in a movie, and set off on the long drive to Quebec, snoozing and reading. Past landscapes of frozen lakes just before the border. Saw men sitting out on the ice, fishing through holes in the ice. I've never seen this before firsthand. Arrived around four and bumped into Ian in the lobby. Went for a walk down to the local mall and bumped into Pete T. Ate pizza and had a beer, then wandered back to the hotel. Bumped into Alan Parker, Ray Halsgrove, the one who took me fishing at home in Raysbury, and Priv and bought them each a drink. Over to the rehearsal studio to discover that the intro DAT of Splintering Heart is lost. Oh dear. Came back to the Hotel de Gouverneur and had a quiet night in. Watched Cape Fear. Robert De Niro was excellent as usual in his portrayal of a violent nutjob, but I wouldn't say I enjoyed the movie much. There's something about Nick Nolte that rubs me up the wrong way. Went to bed at 11. Sunday, 21st of March, Quebec. Happy birthday, Gran. Determinedly stayed in bed until 11. Had breakfast and hung about until 2 when we left for rehearsal. More hanging about at the rehearsal studio for monitor checking. I made a new dat from Priv's safety cassette while I was waiting, with the help of Alain in the recording studio adjacent to the rehearsal place. First rehearsal went well, especially cover my eyes, which sounded solid and more honest than the master. No one can was dodgy, but improved on repetition. Returned to the hotel in the evening and listened to the Cry No More brown paper bag cassette, which had arrived by a jack from England, and then went out to a rock club down the road. There was a good cover band on stage. Got bored and came back about twelve. Read a bit more of The Secret Pilgrim by John le Carre and went bye-byes. Sunday, 22nd of March, Quebec. Bumped into Mad Jack in the corridor. He was still drunk. Had breakfast with him along with Ray and Grubby. That's John McCallis, monitor engineer. Now working for McCartney, I think. The toast is lovely. Nice, thick white bread done to perfection as if over a fire. 
Second day's rehearsal went well. I'm still not hoarse. A TV crew popped in and filmed a couple of songs. In the evening, we went out to a Thai restaurant called Apsara, which is in the old part of Quebec. The old town is much more European and, predictably, has a French flavour to it. Managed to get to bed at 12. Show tomorrow. Monday, 23rd of March. Quebec, Theatre Albert Rousseau. Self-enforced, lie-in. Didn't get up until 12. Had breakfast with John A, who had arrived late last night. At 2, I was picked up by Louis, along with Mark, for interviews. We arrived at the Theatre Albert Rousseau about 4.30 for soundcheck, which was okay. Back to the hotel for a couple of hours with George Smiley. The show went well despite Steve's guitar strap disintegrating before holidays in Eden. The hole this made in the set, after only one song, seemed to increase adrenaline somewhat. Memorable moment was the crowd singing a heavily French-accented on Cover My Eyes. Tuesday, 24th of March, Quebec, Montreal. Left the hotel around one and drove in the minibus to Montreal, stopping at a diner for a burger. Arrived at Le Brique around four to be told soundcheck would not be until six, so I walked down the street for a chat with the staff at Music Plus, the local music video station. Treated well by MP, who gave me coffee and biscuits and beckoned me onto camera to say hi. Went shopping for ankle supports with Alan Parker, lighting designer, who I'd bumped into on the street. I like Alan, he's a very nice chap good at his art, and a positive, good-humoured influence. He's got a bit of the drama queen about him, which I resonate with for some reason. Back at the soundcheck, things were sounding good and tonight's audience was already queuing down the street. The shows sold out. Ray took me back to the good old Manoir Le Moyne Hotel for an hour's sleep and a spot of dinner. I checked in at eight and out at ten. The audience at the show was incredible, one of the best ever, and I enjoyed myself immensely. We had monitor problems during the show, but it's hardly worth mentioning in the context of the overall vibe of the club. After show, we did a bit of a meet and greet, and then it was back on the bus to bed, and to Toronto. Montreal is always amazing. Wednesday, 25th of March, Toronto, Phoenix. Arrived and checked into the Ibis Hotel around nine. Had breakfast with the crew and went to bed. Got up at one. There were phone interviews at one thirty, and then Jack and I were collected to do what turned out to be six hours of interviews. The interview at Much Music Video TV with Ziggy was fun. She introduced our dry land video as dried up, much to our amusement. We finally arrived at Soundcheck at 7.30 after a 15-mile drive to talk to someone at a radio station who really wasn't worth the effort. It was the last straw and we arrived at the gig feeling frazzled and irked. By stage time I'd managed another 90 minutes sleep and was feeling much better. The show went well, although the Toronto crowd reaction rarely lives up to the warmth and mania of Montreal. After the show... We chatted to Dean Cameron, 
the managing director of Capital Records here. He seemed enthused and was a likeable chap. Macho, but not self-consciously so. He looked like he'd have a go at wrestling with a bear if pushed to do so. He gave me a black sweatshirt with an embroidered badge on it of a moose riding a snowmobile. I wore that for years. Thursday, 26th of March. Toronto to Syracuse. I rose around 11 and went out in search of breakfast with John Arneson and Ray. Easier said than done unless you want burgers. By the time we found a cafe capable of and prepared to give us breakfast, Ray had gone back to the hotel to start the checkout. John and I had breakfast and chatted, returning to the Ibis for the checkout at one o'clock. It was a long old drive and I spent much of it asleep or enduring other people playing video games. When we arrived at Carrier Circle, Syracuse, I thought we'd arrived at the end of the world. It was raining hard and the inn on the circle was indistinguishable from a prisoner of war camp. In order to minimise the time spent there, we dropped our bags and trudged through the downpour to the only slightly better but at least they've got a bar, Holiday Inn across the road. At nine o'clock we couldn't stand it anymore, so we left to check out tomorrow's venue, where it turned out the worst band in the world was playing. Spun around on our heels and went next door for a beer, then gave up and went back to Stalag 13 to sleep. Had another bath with George Smiley and went comatose. And we're back. And uh, I was just while we were while we were kind of off. I was going to say while we were off mic, which suggests that H is having a conversation with me whilst he's recording the diary. So that means we're going to let you into all the tricks of, of how we do this, the magic that puts this. Thing I together. also drink a glass of milk whilst reading the diary. Yes, yes, and he and and he uses a glove puppet at the same time. It's the glove puppet that reads <laughs> it's the diary. Him that reads it, yes. Cyril. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just saying how I like the part of the world that he was in because I'm a, we're, I go to New England quite a lot, New, particularly New Hampshire. But I love that part of the world, so Connecticut and Vermont and Maine and you know Cape Cod and all around Boston. Yeah, it's my favourite part of the US. Hmm. Um, but you've only been there once, haven't you? Uh, only you been saying. up to Vermont once. Yeah, yeah. I think, don't think we've been back since then, and it was beautiful. But I mean, we we've often been. We tend to play in Boston quite a lot. Uh, well, not quite a lot, but when we're there, we tend to do this bloody awful club called the Paradise Theatre in Boston, um, oh. which is, um, oh, God, yeah, lots of stories about that as well. Uh, but but anyway, yeah, yeah, the Boston Paradise Theatre is notable for not having a toilet backstage. So if if you get caught short... Maybe they've built one now, but in the old days there wasn't one when we first used to play there. So if you got caught short and needed the loo, you had to you had to go out and go in the loo with the paying public, you know. So you'd be sat on the toilet in the stall, and somebody'd be shoving little notes under asking asking for your autograph. <laughs> <laughs> telling you how, telling you how much they like your music, you'd be like, oh, just give me a minute, mate. <laughs> 
And I suppose coming back with, well, I haven't got a pen, doesn't cut it, does it, really? <laughs> They're rolling one under. <laughs> <laughs> Here, have my Sharpie. Yeah, that was that was always that was a, it was a funny gig the part. Yeah, I mean we used to have great gigs in there. It was always a great crowd in there. It's a great town. But Boston's it, a really really great city. Yeah, you just uh, had to make sure you went to the loo in the hotel before really, you left. Before you went, I learned that lesson the hard way. Um, and um, yeah, I once went. We talked about the seafood as well because the seafood yeah. in that part of the world oh, is just amazing. fantastic and. Uh, I, I I learned actually on one tour that ch- that chowder, that clam chowder, clam chowder is arguably the best cure for a hangover you'll ever find. I I it did tr- it did transport me once from ready for the hospital to feeling <laughs> really well, uh, in <laughs> in the space of one bowl. So there's a hint and a tip for you out there, kids. If and you. you- do you know what? You don't get chowder like that anywhere else in the no, world. No, it's lovely. You can, and you can't buy it and you can't get it in a can. No. I mean, even the Yanks can't do it in a can. No. Uh, you have to have it. Um, I mean, I, I hate to think how bad it is for you because it's just full of cream, isn't it? I guess. It's good good yeah. stuff, though. Very good oh, hangover. It's amazing. And I once made a mistake. with There's this lobster place called Legals that they have in Boston. I don't know if you've heard of that. Legals no, Lobsters. No. And the reason it's called Legals apparently is is because it used to be a law firm um, way back in the way back, you know, in sort of Wild West times. It was a law firm in, in, and there was this old dear who was a solicitor, but she also um, boiled lobsters in the back room and she ended up making more money out of the lobsters than she was out of the law. And so she opened, she opened a restaurant called Legals, um, and uh, it's still going. It's quite, it, it's quite a big. I think there's a, there are a chain now in in America, and there's there's quite a few in New England. And I once went in, you know, I just went went in on my own because not not been in Boston for ages, and I sat down, and the waiter came and said, yeah, "What would you like, sir?" I said, "Bring me the biggest lobster you've got in the place." Because you know, because I'd looked forward to it, and he brought this thing, and it was like a cat. It was as big as a bloody. <laughs> it was enormous, and it was hanging, you know, on this enormous plate, but it was still hanging off either side. It must have been two hundred years old, and um, it took me about an hour to eat it, and it didn't taste very good because it, it, being the biggest lobster, it probably yeah. was the oldest lobster, and they probably, he probably went back to the kitchen and went, do you know what, it's finally happened, somebody's asked for that bloody lobster. It's, hallelujah. <laughs> there's, this, there's this guy out there in a red shaggy coat being bounced on some German's knee has ordered the biggest lobster ever. Yeah, George, your time has come. Get him out of the tank. And... Uh, and, and oh, I don't know if you call a lobster George. Yeah, would you not? <laughs> I don't think so. No, it's probably probably. It's got to be Larry, hasn't it? Would it be Larry? Yeah, It'd be Larry in America, wouldn't it? Anyway, his time had come, and they served him to me, <laughs> and I ate it. it. Took me about an hour. It wasn't very nice, and I think it was about three hundred dollars. So never ask for the biggest lobster in the in the house when you're in New England. It's a mistake. <laughs> There's another top tip. Did you did you have your little bib on, little lobster bib on? 
I think I did. They give yeah, you. I think it was a disposable yeah. lobster bib. A dis- yeah, they, they are disposable. You get a little disposable lobster bib, don't they? Lo- they actually lobster went- bib's a good thing. I might say lobster bib for the rest of the day under my breath, <laughs> just for entertainment. Good morning, lobster bib. <laughs> It's a bit like when they give, when you order lobster in New England, it's a bit like when they, they give paints to kids in nursery. So they know they give the big plastic like robe thing so yeah. they can't get paint everywhere. Yeah. And it's a bit like that. They like clear a space for you because they know you're going to create chaos. Yeah. And then they and then they put you in plastic. I needed a big space n- that day. <laughs> it's not was that a good food to eat knowing there was no backstage toilet? <laughs> That is another mistake I've made in the past. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the one of the things because this is this is it is a bit. I mean, lobster is a huge thing in that part of the world, mm. but they do lobster rolls in McDonald's in in New England. Do they? So through really? that through the season, you get it's lobster rolls everywhere, including McDonald's. Well, well done. There we are. <laughs> Not exactly a fillet of fish, is it? But, um, lobster bib. Lobster bib, lobster bib. Sounds like a backing vocal. I might throw that in the next throw album just in. for devilment. We'll have, a lost, we'll have a lobster bib chorus. Oh, no, do you know what? I'm going to dare you to do that. The Europeans, no, no, had this song. You've told us this. And we had fish bar restaurant. Fish and chip shop. Fish told bar us this. restaurant. Fish bar restaurant. Backing vocal. Because it right. said fish bar restaurant in neon opposite the flat. Lobster bib, I'm daring you now. I'm daring you for lobster bib in uh, in, in a, the next in, in, album. In the next album, lobster bib's got to be in there I'm somewhere. Try and remember it. Right. Okay. Fine. Well, I was going to ask you some questions about the diary, but mm. to be honest, we've virtually, we've virtually run out of time. Oh. So, um, so um, what I was going to ask, but we'll. Do you know what? I'll, I'll say it out loud so we don't forget. Because mm. if we say them, we tend to come back to them. I was going to ask you about hotels because you talk about mm. a concentration camp of a hotel, don't you? In the in the, which I'm assuming is this. Uh, yeah. uh, anyway, so the only a man um, who'd never been in a concentration camp could, could say yes. that it probably wasn't that bad. No, no. Um, we'll we'll go over the description, but but you've stayed in some shockers in your time. Oh, my but you've also yes. stayed in some great ones in your time. So we're not doing it now because I think it's going to be. But let's do a little section on best and worst hotels. Mm. Uh, because for most people who are listening, I mean, I used to travel a bit with work, but not nothing like the amount of places you'll have booked yourself in and out of. Um, particularly at four in the morning when you've broken the back of the journey, so um, so we'll 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 shove that in either in one of these or in an odds and sodcast. We'll do a we'll do a, a, a best and worst hotel. Okay, um, you'll need to kind of give me a little bit of notice so that I okay. can, I might have to make notes because my memory's just so buggered. Right. Uh, well, it's going to, they'll start coming to you now. Mm, They're going to start, yeah, now I've said it, they'll I'm start trying. flashing in. Best and worst. Oh, I've got the worst already. It was the Ridgeway <laughs> Hotel in Lime Street in Liverpool. Have I ever told you about the Ridges Hotel? No, but don't do it now. Oh, keep man. it. Keep it as a... That's a keep podcast it as a, on its own. Right, well, keep keep it and we'll do that one. We'll do that one uh, any, very, very, very soon. Yes, that's um, a must. Because... Because we yeah we're about there on time so we, we call it call it a day for twenty two um, and uh, hotels that you're going to get hotels coming your way folks and we're going to do a little bit more on seasons end over the next couple of episodes through September with it being kind of anniversary month of the of, of the album release so we'll we'll touch into seasons end but it might be a bit like today where it's a bit it's not a direct thing it might just be a bit of a link or what have you but we'll see what we can 
we can do. Um, are you are you studio bound now? Are you yes, into rocking? Yes, uh, off in for a little jam today, but uh, without drums because Ian's gone to Stockport. Um, and there's only one thing that would induce Mosley to Stockport, or, or just about anywhere, to be honest, um, and that's um, free gear. And it, he's, oh. there's a there's a drum company called the British Drum Company. The British Drum yeah, Company, yeah. yeah. And they're in yeah. Stockport, and they'd like to give him some stuff. So this is the one that he Al Murray's involved with, isn't it? Oh, is it? Al Murray's mm. a nice guy. We mm. he's done a kind of Al Murray did a prog awards, you know, uh he was MC on one of those one year and he was he was very funny. He's just yeah. he's just effortlessly funny, man. Yeah. Brilliant th- and very nice. Sure I'm sure he's involved with the British drum company because he is a he is a a drummer and he's done lots of work for a charity called Music for All where he's done he's he's come out and done lessons and things for for people to encourage kids to you know, to, yeah, to, cool. to get get behind drum kit. So it's he's a really, really nice, really nice fella, and really gives back to that part of the industry. So it probably is, it probably is Al. So so Ian's Ian's up the M, up the M, six is he? Without a paddle, yeah. Without a paddle after free gear, well, probably with a with a drumstick. Um, there's there's not a lot of other reasons to go to Stockport if I'm being honest. So go and see um, Lol Cream's sister. Oh, she lives in Stockport. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was very fortunate to meet her backstage at Trevor Ongig. She was telling me how useless he was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, him, you know. Oh, him. I, uh, do you know? Do you know what? I've just had another thought. Lord Muck here what? never did anything the whole time he was growing up. Lord Muck, I'm thinking. You know. <laughs> Brilliant. How, how about we do one of these where you don't come on it, um, but 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 one of your sisters does? Oh, that'd be hysterical. Yeah, I'll get both of them on. They're a good get dub- both of them. My, on. my sisters are a double act anyway. They're absolutely right. scream. Maybe yeah. we'll do that. Oh God, they tell you all about me. <laughs> Steady <laughs> on. Ooh, I'm getting, I'm getting excited. <laughs> right, we better go because we're we're just chuntering on and we're still actually right. recording. Oh, we're going. We're going. All right, no problem. Take uh, care, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Yes, we'll talk to you soon, kids. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, and, and we are on with merch. Merch is still being talked about. Yes, that's true. That's true. I've yes. made phone calls. Phone calls have been made. Phone calls have been made. Trying to source core blimey is not as easy as it sounds, to tell you. No, but it'll be worth it in the end. <laughs> does Dickie Beaumont know? He must know somebody who does core blimey trousers. Well, you know, I, I, I worked in a core blimey trouser factory for 10 years as a boy. Yeah, it's probably he probably does. Man and boy. Yeah. <laughs> of course, Hendrix would never wear them, you know. Thank you. Aidan Campbell. Thank you. Kathleen Chevy. Thank you. Thank you. Phil Kinderman. Thank
Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>